The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. What a great blessing tonight. This is a very special time in the life of the Lord's church in general, and certainly for this local church in particular. And then it's got added blessing because now we're seeing someone who is being called into the pastoral ministry that actually rose up by God's grace within this congregation. From childhood all the way to this point of his life, and it has been a very interesting life that Westby has lived and a very glorious testimony of God's grace at work in his life, for which we give praise to God. If you got your copies of God's Word, turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Timothy, and turn with me to chapter three. To chapter three. Westby and Mallory, I'm so excited about this uh, part of your life and what the Lord's doing, and and the anticipation of it. Our continued engagement, at least uh, for sure, these next couple of years, and then. Um, some, for some of you that don't know, let me just take just a moment. Um, I was talking with Westby. We were doing some general internship that Westby would need to be ordained. But uh, Westby's desire was to go back into the military for a chaplain's ministry. Well, um, they've got a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Uh, I guess the military is about like every other part of the government. Let's see how many regulations we can come up with. And all of a sudden he had new ones that were confronting him that we didn't know about when we first started uh, quite some time ago when he was going through his seminary education and, um, and getting ready. And we were getting the internship done. Uh, so that he could move ahead. And one day he comes in to talk with me, and, and I had to kind of get him to slow down to let me be able to track with this. And uh, he began to share with me some of the things. And one of the things that is that he not he, an internship under a church was no longer sufficient. And, um, and Wesby, if I get this wrong, you can correct me the first time you're up to preach, okay? And uh, so, um, so he was, um, but it was that now, basically, he had to have 18 months to two years of actually ordained pastoral ministry, not an internship for pastoral ministry, which used to be enough, but now ordained pastoral ministry. In other words, there's some people in the next couple of years he's going to have to marry and bury and uh, counsel and lead to Christ and disciple and small groups and preach sermons. And all of those things have got to be done as an ordained minister uh, working with and under ordained ministers. So we begin to look and see how in the world could that be done here. I didn't want that to farm out. Um, and we I mean, we've got a lot invested. I didn't want that to be messed up anywhere else for crying out loud. And I didn't certainly didn't want to lose the benefits of watching him develop. And being encouraged by it. So uh, we began to work on it. And a, a number of our elders and 
our, our executive pastor and administrator and, uh, and then Benny and some others, we were able to see this thing come together where if we could bring him in for a year and a half to two years and, uh, on, on our pastoral staff. And there were so many things that could be done. Y'all know, for instance, we have a church behind the walls or behind the wire. And we have a church down in Bibb County uh, that uh, we minister to. And, uh, boy, now you're talking about uh, doing some uh, pastoral work in that setting and preaching down there. And uh, then, of course, here at Briarwood and began to see how the Lord could put together quite a profile that would really give him some extraordinary experience that we believe actually in God's providence would get him even more prepared for that anticipated chaplaincy. And then, of course, that means we've got to pay this guy some extraordinary salary. I don't know what it is, but it's, I'm sure it's extraordinary, right, Westby? And um, Mallory won't have to worry about budgeting or anything. But uh, so, um, but we've got to kind of work through that. And one of the things that became obvious, just like this morning, we were talking about missions. Well, you see, for me, this is, in a real sense, another Bailey Marks. I showed you the tapestry of just one man, and I couldn't get to any of the dynamics this morning beyond just a couple of examples. Well, I see the same thing in the future for Westby uh, as a chaplain and then whatever the Lord might call him to and uh, beyond that. I'm just trying to anticipate all the lives that will be worked on and changed by the grace of God as he ministers the gospel of saving grace, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that the works we do doesn't save us, but they evidence the salvation that God is doing in us. As he takes that message into a pastoral ministry, it's going to be astounding. The the lives that are going to be impacted. And, you know, if I can just kind of hang on long enough, maybe I can use Westby as a illustration at a missions conference. Because that's what he's going to be as he goes to be a chaplain in the army. Or as uh, as he moves into that, out of this two years. But folks, guess what? It won't cost a dime for our missions committee. The government is going to take care of his package. And praise the Lord. So we can make this investment for two years, send him off as a missionary. And now from then on, all we got to do is pray and stay in touch with him. Uh, they, they're going to send him the money. Of course, I just do want to remind you, your tax money is what he said, what they're sending. But, uh, but praise the Lord that he's getting a slice of it for that ministry. So this became a no brainer. So please pardon the personal thing, but I thought you might want to kind of get an anticipation of that, particularly as you experience the blessings of Westby's ministry here at Briarwood over these next couple of years, anticipating the extraordinary impact that it will take place in a place that's very difficult to minister, and that's in our military services, and how he is being prepared for that in a very special way, for an extraordinary way. So tonight, uh, the sermon is a part of that, and I thought about the text that I would like to share uh, with Westby uh, from God's Word as a sermon for him and for us to understand what happened. So I've got you in Timothy. I'm not just any Timothy. I've got you in Second Timothy. Now, most of you know that Paul wrote this, and most of you know that this was the last letter that Paul wrote. There are 13 epistles written by the Apostle Paul. 
And nine of them capture our attention because they're directed to local churches. And there is, um, and, and, uh, except for the church, uh, except for the one to Ephesus, which is a general letter to a number of churches. And as he writes his letters to churches, we see this constant refrain. Here's who you are in Christ. You are not saved by your obedience. You are not saved by your works. You are not saved by the sacraments of the church. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now these sacraments become a glorious gift from God, whereby we are signing and sealing the work of the covenant of grace. And the preaching of the word is that which begins to equip us. And the works that we do manifest to the world, not someone that's perfect, but someone who is being perfected by the presence of the Holy Spirit with the word of God. And then he is using us for his glorious grace. And you see that in the letters to the churches. Then Paul writes letters to individuals. And, um, and of course, he writes one to Philemon who housed the church at Colossae within his home. And then he writes one to... Titus and one to Timothy. They're very similar because both men were being led out into a very specific ministry of church revitalization. Titus was going to Crete to set in order what remains. And Timothy was going to Ephesus because that church needed revitalization. And so he, they get instructions from Paul how to do a pastoral work of the ministry of church revitalization. And then Paul's in his second Roman imprisonment. He doesn't have long to live. The days are drawing near. And he writes his last letter. And he writes it to his son in the faith. Who he had poured his life and heart into. Now he wasn't the only uh, man that uh, Paul discipled. There was Titus and there was Silas and there was Luke. Uh, And so Paul had a number of those that he invested in. But Timothy was his son in the faith. There was something personal in their relationship. So the last thing he writes, probably at least days, if not hours, before he died, was this letter to Timothy with the instructions not about a particular ministry of pastoral revitalization, but instructions of the pastoral ministry. How to be effective for Christ as a man called of God to be a minister of the gospel of grace in the church of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. It takes on that. This is the real that we call first, second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles. But second Timothy, I think, technically is the real pastoral epistle. I want to read one section. I want to give you three divisions of it and just one thought as, I, as we uh, come to Wesby's ordination. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and first of all verse 10. You, that's Paul, by the Spirit to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here we take a look at Timothy's past development, a review by Paul of his past development. As Paul had become a model to imitate and a mentor who instructed him. Uh, obviously, you know, you and I have been together, Westby, and we've made this point, so I want to make it again. Is that uh, you need models for your life. Now, Paul could be a model for Timothy. And there may be models that you can see. Like, I would encourage you to make Dr. Barker a model. For your life and ministry. But the, ten, the thing I want you to remember is the best thing to do when you get models is wait till they die. So you know how they finished. But with Paul, who's now approaching death, he's reminding him, you have been watching me. You have been learning from me. You have been you have followed me. You've seen me persecuted. You've seen me suffering. You've seen me teach. And here's what you've seen. My perseverance, but here's what I want you to really know. What you really saw was not my perseverance. What you really saw was the Lord rescued me. That's what you really saw. I persevered, but the reason I persevered, when they stoned him, when they struck him with lashes, 39, to the point of death, when they imprisoned him, When they would withhold food and water from him. When they threw him over a wall. All the things that they saw. And he named the places where some of these happened. And then he said, in all of it, I persevered. And he says, now here's the two things to get from that watching of me as a model. Number one. This shouldn't surprise you. If you desire to serve Christ, you will be a target of the world and Satan. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I'll remind you what we studied in First Peter. Every believer, every true believer, will at some time, in some way, in some manner, to some degree... Be called to suffer for Christ. It may not be their life. It may be their livelihood. It may be their standing. It may be a job. It may be all kinds of things. But that's the calling in this world. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you. He tells us, he tells us, Westby, that when you minister, you can expect the challenges of adversity. In Westby, you'll not only have them from the world outside, but the world as it gets inside the church. So get ready. (laughs) Get ready to give yourself in life and ministry and the people you give the most to abandon you. The people you give your heart and soul and life and emotions to pastorally, then all of a sudden they're not there. Here's the way you handle that. Never do it for them to applaud you to begin with. Do it for the Lord. 
And whether they appreciate and applaud it or not, never becomes the issue. It's the Lord who is pleased as to how you discharge your calling as a pastor teacher for his people. And then, when you persevere, you always remember every elder, every ordained officer, every pastor. Your perseverance was because of his preservation. He rescued you. Boy, I loved what Benny said a while ago. As we were singing that hymn, that he never forsakes us in the middle of trials. He never forsakes us because he went to the cross to be forsaken for us. Therefore, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Though you falter in faithlessness, I will be faithful. As a gospel minister, you're going to need to call upon that so many times. That's why Spurgeon would tell his pastor's college, men, if you can go do anything other than the ministry, go do it. You got to know you're called because when the days of challenge, adversity and disappointment come, if, if you are there for any other reason than God called you, therefore you were following his call, then you will falter in that day. But if you trust him and keep your eyes on him and get those models who have gone before you, get those who have finished well. You see, the reason you don't get models from the present, you don't know how they're going to finish. You get your model from history from the Bible because the last chapter has been written I wrote something the other day about leadership and I put it on I try to put some on Facebook every once in a while just to see if I can get something in in 140 characters that's biblical and uh, so um, I put this in I put this out there and it's uh, it's really a modification of campus outreach uh, their leadership maxim which is uh, basically think big start small go deep and then I added one, build high. So I'll give it to you. Think big, act small, go deep, build high. And then I'm going to tell you what a guy wrote me. Great, Harry. I got one more. Finish strong. I got the chance to watch my daughters run all the way in through college. They were distance runners. And they learned one of the secrets is every mile is better than the previous mile. And your best mile is your last mile. And when you get to the end, you don't have anything left. So there is the call, and that's what he learned from looking at the Apostle Paul. Then he goes from the past to the present. Go with me to the present, if you would. And here's what the present is. So we come to the present in the next verse. Now what do you do? You have followed past tense, my teaching, my conduct. Now what do you do? Well, here's what he says in verse 14. But as for you, now what do you do in the present? Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that, and this is pointing to you, Wesby, just as it pointed to Timothy, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what is he saying? He's saying, this is what you learned from me as a model. Now you keep learning 
with your mentors. You not only have models that you've learned from, you've got mentors that you continue to learn from. With Timothy, he says, you know who you learn from. You learn from Timothy. Tell me, you learn from Paul, Timothy. But you not only learn from Paul, you learn from Lois. You learn from Eunice. Now, keep on learning. If you stop learning, leave the ministry and leadership in Christ church. Great leaders are learners. Did not Jesus show this to us? Luke 2.52, he grew in what? Wisdom. As the son of man, he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and favor with man. What does Hebrews tell us? He learned obedience in his suffering. Paul has manifested a life of continued learning. That's what a minister does. So, you know, here's my statement for you, Wes, because you've got to be a verbivore. Just eat words. Eat and digest knowledge. Don't ever stop. And remember from who you've learned. You've got a father and mother who have taught you. You've got a brother who encourages you. You've got, um, you've, got, um, you've got people that are right here tonight that have been instrumental. Then keep learning from them. When you get ordained, that doesn't mean you know it all. That just means you want to know it all. And now you want to know it all more than ever before. So get those mentors in life and keep them in your life and take hold of them with your life. And so you stay connected to them. You've also had a pastor, Dr. Barker, who from the very beginning, stay with that. In fact, there's an example for you. You're starting your ministry. Dr. Barker is way into ministry. In fact, this year. Is your, I don't know if you know it, Dr. Barker. This is your 60th year of ordained ministry. And praise the Lord. Well, one of the things I love is I'll see Dr. Barker. I can't tell you how many times this has happened in my life. And I'll see him and guess what he's doing? Reading a book. Guess what he asked me? Aaron? Praise the Lord. What have you been reading that'll help me? And that's just... The last months, years. Pastors must be learners. That's not something you did in the past. I got my theological degree. That's something you do. It becomes a way of life. You're constantly reading, meditating, reflecting, thinking, working your way through the scriptures which are able to equip you, which are sufficient, which teach you, reprove you, correct you, and train you. And you say, well, Harry, uh, you know, I mean, I I keep doing that? Yes, you keep doing it. I got converted. And so I went home. I picked up the New Testament, stayed up all night and read it. I then said to Cindy the next morning, (laughs) I was kind of bleary-eyed, I said to her, Honey, I read the New Testament last night. She said, Great. And then I said, Okay, what's next? She said, I think you need to go read it again. God's Word is like a well of glorious artesian water. The deeper you go, the fresher, colder, and pure it is. It's like a gold mine. The deeper you go, the bigger the nuggets, and the brighter is the vein of riches. So stay with 
your learning of the Word of God. Continue with those mentors and mentors yet that God will bring into your life. I had seven. Three are with Jesus now. And I cannot tell you how valuable they have been in my life. And that's what I would pray for you. But now we just get to the last part. Let's look to the future. Where are you going? Go to chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge you. So he told you, here's what you have done. Here's what you continue to do in the present. Now, what does the future look like? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's the pri- not exclusive. That's the primary means of grace. If you don't get prayer and the word right, everything else is going to be not effective. So preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. <clears throat> For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I wish I could tell you every professing believer is going to run to where God's word is faithfully preached. No, they're going to run unless the Holy Spirit works in their life to something that scratches their ears. But you stay the course. You keep preaching the word. Preach the word, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. But as for you, now get this, four things. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's your future. Preach the word. Pastor his people. Be faithful. Set your mind and your heart so that you finish the race. You can't finish unless you start. That's where we are. Now we're formal day. Of starting your ministry. Start the race. To finish the race. Get in the fight. To stay in the fight. Wesby, I have to confess that I was thinking of you the other day. This is the first time I've ever participated in an ordination of a man that can kill you seven ways in 30 seconds. And uh, so (laughs) that congregation better toe the line. That's all I can say. So um, I was watching that uh, movie, Lone Survivor, uh, just trying to download the tactical dynamics and, and what I was watching. And it's a pretty faithful rendition. I know it's been doctored some. But there were two things I have to confess. Uh, I always look at it strategically. I believe some rangers and some, uh, and some Marine Corps recon might have helped them make better tactical decisions. But, boy, their bravery was just astounding. And when the rounds came in, 
and they got hit. First question, are you hit? Second question, are you still in the fight? Third question, the third thing I noticed was the answer. I'm never leaving the fight. We're in a war. Praise God, it's already been won at the cross. But it's a real war. We fight with the weapons of the Spirit. We fight with the armor of Christ. And you're leading the army of the Lord. Now, you're never more than second in command, Wespy. The captain of the Lord of hosts is in command. He's given us our weapons. He's given us our call. He's given us our mission. And you're going to get hit. There's going to be incoming. So here's what you do. Stay in the fight. I'm not leaving the fight. Stay in the fight. Finish the race. And don't look for your reward here. You look for your reward there. And as you stay in the fight, don't you love the illustration he uses? He said, I've fought the fight. I've stayed in the fight. Finished the race. Using all these sports metaphors. Military metaphors. And then he goes back to the temple. And he says, I've been poured out as a drink offering. Not a burnt offering. When you get to the end of your life in ministry, it's not a burnt offering. With a burnt offering, you got ashes left. With a drink offering, there's nothing left. You gave it all to him who gave his all for you. In life and in ministry. What a glorious privilege. So I would just remind you what it says. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And by the way, evangelism is a work. (laughs) And I can't help but think of that phrase, be sober-minded. Have you all ever noticed in the Bible how many times it calls all of us as Christians to be sober? Don't be drunk with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. How many times have been sober? Sober means temperate. Sober means identified by moderation. In other words, the only thing that has your complete affections and allegiance is Jesus. Everything else in life, you're sober. You're sober. You're not drunk with their appeals or their practices, even good things. The only thing that has you without reservation is Jesus himself. And people see, not only, not, yes, you have hobbies, yes, you have likes, yes, you have idiosyncrasies, yes, you have things that you're interested in, but none of them take the domination of your affections and allegiance and all of your heart. Jesus is the one you adore and give yourself to. Well, not only are you to be sober, but minister of the word, you be Sober-minded. Your mind is filled with Jesus and the Word. Don't let anything else grab your mind to lead you off. Stay sober-minded. You know, it's very. let me just end with this. It's very interesting to me that the Gospels take great pains 
to tell you two things about Jesus. He's the son of God who came in the flesh. And he is the son of man. He is fully God and fully man in one person. Two complete natures with no confusion or competition. And as it takes pains to let you know of his full humanity, it constantly gives you the display of Jesus' appetites, of his affections, never with any sin, but also his emotional life. Three times it tells us he was angry with the righteousness of God, not the anger of man. It tells us he wept. Interestingly, there's one emotion, human emotion, that the Gospels never record about Jesus. It never says he laughed. Now stop right here. Do not leave this place. And Harry said Jesus never laughed. There is no way you can be on a three-year road trip with Peter and not laugh. I am sure he laughed. But I think the gospel writers don't record it because they're reminding us. As gospel ministers and as Christians, we are about sober issues. Heaven, hell, life, freedom from sin, eternity. We are about that which everyone else wants to avoid and deny. And we love to tell people. There's a God who loves you and is ready to save you. Be sober-minded. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for my brother. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his ministry. I thank you for those that surround him and his family. I thank you, O oh God, for the ministry. Oh, my goodness. We who are sinners saved by grace... In your kind providence, you have allowed us the sacred calling of preaching the word of God. And without the hearing of the word, no one can be saved. You have called us to that glorious ministry to lead your church in the great commission and the great commandment with a great commitment. You have, you have granted that to us as teaching elders and gospel ministers. And now you have called and added one more. To that legion of ministers of the gospel. I pray for this day. I thank you for it. And I look to anticipation to that day. When Wesby, along with a godly wife and children who rise up. To know and love and follow the Lord and congregations and men and women who have been affected by his life and ministry. Praise your name. For you not only got him started on this race. You not only got him into the fight. But you'll keep him. You'll rescue him when he needs to be rescued. You will revive him. You will refresh him. As he having learned from models, will continue to learn from models and mentors. And then, by the grace of God, will preach the word. 
in the presence of God and the coming of Christ and the judgment seat. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Westby, I have one final word for you as Benny comes to take us through these last moments of this ordination. The reason the Apostle Paul, what the reason the Apostle Paul was able to finish well and anticipate that um, that Timothy would finish well were those three things that he said for the future in his ministry. I charge you in the presence of God and the soon appearing of Christ and the judgment seat. Preach the word. Dare I paraphrase the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. In your ministry, always feel the eyelash of God upon you. His presence. Hear the footsteps of Jesus. He's coming. And hear the gavel of the judgment seat. And everybody you minister to will appear there one day. And you have their only answer. Jesus Christ. Preach the word. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.